To get his goodnight kiss, he stood beside my chair one night and raised an eager face to me, a face with love alight. And as I gathered in my arms the son God gave to me, I thanked the lad for being good and hoped he'd always be. His little arms crept round my neck, and then I heard him say four simple words I can't forget, four words that made me pray. They turned a mirror on my soul, on secrets no one knew. They startled me. I hear them yet. He said, I'll be like you. Sobering are those words on Father's Day but they express what really happens in a boy and his relationship with his dad. I want to talk about the courage of Peter today in the first of a series of messages on God's actors from Acts. As we slip out of the pages of Acts, the characters of Acts, and see what made them the people they were. Next week we look at Stephen, following weeks Barnabas and then Paul and others. Acts 4.13 is the key. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, it is the Acts of the Apostles. If you look at the top of the page where your Bible says Acts, it also says of the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles. You see, God works through humans. That's still his plan. He works through dads. He works through mothers. He works through men and women young people. He works through us. The Acts of the Apostles. Luke writes about what Jesus began both to do and teach. Circle the word began. He didn't finish. He began. When he ascended up on high on the Mount of Olives, it was just the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. He carries on through his Holy Spirit, moving upon, ministering within people. Among the people he chose was the one Lloyd Douglas called the big fisherman, Peter. He dominates the first part of Acts, just like Paul dominates the last part of the book of Acts. We're going to talk about the fears of Peter and how he overcame them, because in this service today, there are hundreds of people who battle the same things that Peter battled, and there's only one antidote. It's what Peter found, and we call it the courage of Peter. First of all, let us assume that not all fears are bad. For example, if you go out of here today and get out on Highway 50, pull your car off the side of the road and just decide you want to walk across Highway 50, that wouldn't be too smart. In fact, I'm sometimes afraid to even drive my car out on there. A guy tried to run me right into the ditch the other day. He didn't want me on the freeway. I was coming down the ramp just nicely like I'm supposed to, and, you know, normally they're supposed to move over in the second lane so you can come on at a decent speed. Well, he wasn't going to move. In fact, he just reared up and kept his speed exactly as mine was. Now, if he'd been dealing with a Satanist, he'd have been in trouble. But, you see, I'm a Christian, and so we always drive our cars, don't we, just like Christians. <laughs> really, I just sort of laughed. I feel sorry for people like that. You know, they think they're, they got the whole world in their hands and they're going to run it. 
And he just finally took off down the freeway about 80 miles an hour in his little old van and sailed on into the sunset. Uh, the fear of getting out on that freeway is a good thing because it might keep you alive. And don't ever think that the person who just walks out there trying to get across six lanes nonchalantly is in his right mind. He doesn't have the right fear because there's a fear of danger that is put within us. We need it. Uh, I spent a couple summers in Montana as a youth and I got acquainted with rattlesnakes in Montana and I had a fear of those things. You need to learn their ways. I learned their ways and then the fear sort of disappeared. I learned that if they're just crawling along, they really can't hurt you. When they hurt you is when they're curled up and they strike, but they can only strike the length of their body. When I heard that, I was helped. I stayed away the length of the body, and I was okay. There were some that struck, but they just fell helpless at my feet as I dropped a big rock on their head. They woke up in Snakesville and wondered what happened. So you have, a, you have a respect, the fear that is good for your preservation. That's all all right. Someone said our modern cities are cities of the quick and the dead. If you aren't quick, you are dead. And that's really true. There are some unwholesome fears, however, that come upon us. Claustrophobia can't get into an elevator, ah, go crazy, walk 30 stairs, 30 flights of stairs because you can't get in an elevator. I've met people like that. Watch in an elevator. If there aren't any stairs or they can't go that high, they're, they're the ones who break out in a sweat. Just watch. Just look around. Don't look at the ceiling all the time. Look at the people that are with you and evaluate. Those that are perspiring have claustrophobia. You better get that door open and at least a decent amount of time or they'll rip the doors right off the elevator. That's an unwholesome fear, and I can't explain it. I would pray for you if you have it because I don't think it's healthy. There is acrophobia, the fear of heights. Do you know that there are people who cannot sit in an airplane next to a window? That's why it takes you a long time if you're flying to get your seat assignment, because these kind of people are fighting for a seat as far away from the window as they can get. They will not sit by the window. They can't stand to look out that window and see the ground receding. Uh, living up in the Northwest, we are proud of the Space Needle. That's over 600 feet tall, and it's very thin, but it broadens out into a nice restaurant and observant platform up there. And I used to love to take visitors up there to the Space Needle, but I found out some wouldn't go with me because they had acrophobia. I used to love to take them up there and have them lean out over the edge and look down. That's really exciting to see how far down that is, straight down. But there were some just gasp, you know, they would not think of doing that, not even going up to that restaurant. They wouldn't eat up there. It's the mar most marvelous place to eat in Seattle. It goes around completely once every hour. If you go at sunset, you can see Seattle and the harbor and the mountains once in the daylight and once at dark. It's fabulous. One of my most favorite places. But there are some who will not go up that elevator to the top of that tower. 
acrophobia. There's the fear of criticism, the fear of financial loss, the fear of ostracism, all of these things that are unholy and unwholesome. Peter had fears. Now let's take a look at that quickly. Matthew 14, Jesus said, Come, walk on the water, Peter. Don't be afraid. He put his feet out over the edge, and sure enough, it held him up. And he stood up, and he began to walk toward Jesus for a period of time, that is. Now what happened? The spray of the waves started hitting him in the face. And it caused him suddenly to feel panicky. You ever felt that way? Sure you have. Fear set in, an unwholesome fear, and he began to look down instead of looking at Jesus, and he began to sink. He lost his faith. He had no courage. He was sinking when he did a very smart thing. Now, I want you to note what Peter did. You need to do the same thing. He cried out. Now, that's not enough, just crying out, because you may cry out to the wrong person or nobody there, like the fellow that got out on a limb and uh, he didn't know how to get down. Fear struck him and he said, is there anyone up there that can help him, help me? And the voice said, let go. And he said, is there anyone else that can help me? <laughs> that may be your case. You cry, but it's important what you cry. Here's what Peter cried, Lord, save me. And the Lord did. It's like the psalmist said, who delivered me out of all of my fears. And Peter was restored to the water on the top and was spared, but he had fear. He had the fear of suffering. Matthew chapter 16, he proclaimed, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But a moment later, Jesus is saying, I'm going to have to leave you. I'm going to have to die. And Peter said, God forbid that this should happen to you. Now, Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. When just a few moments before, the Lord was blessing him for his testimony that he was the Son of God. What happened? When Peter heard Jesus say he was going to have to die, the fear of suffering set in. And a lot of us have that. Peter had a failure of courage. Jesus said, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We need to do that. We need to remember that when Jesus calls us, he will fulfill us in the call. He'll never let us down. And we need no fear of suffering. He was afraid of ridicule. Mark 14, 66, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus, they said to him at the fire. Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Afraid of being ridiculed. Afraid of being identified with Jesus. What a paralyzing fear that is. I have not been in the military, but I have talked to many military men who have told me that many a soldier who had the courage to face up to battle could not face up to a sneer, to the ridicule in the barracks, to the there's a Jesus man. He has a Bible. He prays. What are you doing, Johnny? Praying? That destroyed more men than any battle. The fear of a sneer. 
Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. Dare to make it known. That's what the old song says. Peter lost his courage in the face of ridicule. Now let's move to the positive. What happened to this fellow who had all of these problems? Well, to those who had known the fickle, faint-hearted Peter, it must have been astounding to see him transformed into a man full of courage. Is there any real connection between being filled with the Spirit of God and overcoming fear? There must be because of the change in Peter. In Acts 2, as you open your Bible and look at Acts, which is our study, Acts 2 records the story. They were assembled in one place. The sound of a rushing mighty wind filled the room. There appeared to them tongues as a fire. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The first physical evidence that you're filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. But the most important part of Pentecost was that Peter became possessed by another. He was no longer possessed by Peter empty of self, filled with God. The need of men is to be dispossessed of self and filled with God. It started for Peter in Acts 2. That old wavering spirit, that fearful spirit, dissolved in the presence of God, and it came so forcibly into his life that all of the old Peter fled away and the Spirit of God absolutely controlled him. He was filled with another. That's what all of us need. I have great aspirations for this church. I have great visions and dreams for this church. But I'm smart enough to know that it can only happen when we are dispossessed of self and filled with God till we're not afraid to stand in any chamber, in any place, in any circumstance and say, whether it be right to obey God or man, you decide, but I'm going to obey God. That's my decision. That's when we are filled with the Spirit of God, when we have the courage to do that like they did in Acts chapter 4. Are you that kind of a person? Well, there are six facets of courage I want to leave with you this morning. Acts 2.14, Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice. That's the first facet of courage, to take a stand. This is the man who refused to stand up and be counted when he was questioned by a serving maid in the high priest's palace. The same man, and yet not the same. The fiery purging of Pentecost had made him different. He stood up. We sit down far too much. I had a teacher in junior high that used to say, let's stop the horseplay. Boy, I can hear him say that today. That got into my consciousness. Let's stop the horseplay. Oh, Mr. Schneider. I wonder if he's alive. He used to hate horseplay. Well, I have remembered that through the years because I think there's a lot of horseplay in the spirit as Christians, and we need to stop it. And the only way I know to stop the horseplay and really get down to business is to have the Holy Spirit filling us as Peter on the day of Pentecost and thereafter. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Good. He stood up. 
Secondly, the facet of courage is to speak the truth, Acts 4, 19 and 20. We cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. We've gone through Watergate. We can hardly believe anybody anymore. The paper is filled with lies. We discover constantly people who have been untruthful, who have been two different people, and it's devastating. And that's the tenor of our time. But even in the face of arrest in Acts 4, Peter spoke the truth. What changed him from the time he was in the high priest's palace and denied the Lord and cursed Pentecost. The possession of another person, the dispossession of himself, he spoke the truth. Now that he was filled with God, oh God, do it again, amen, in all of us. Thirdly, one of the facets of courage is to use what you have. Acts 3, 6, lay men at the gate, Peter and John coming by, going into the temple to pray. Crying for alms, Peter said, such as I have, give I thee. He had no seminary education. He didn't even have Jerry Falwell study books. All he had was what he got in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And he said, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he jerked him to his feet, and he not only walked, he ran, he leaped into the temple praising God. See, we're supposed to use what we have. You stand at the Red Sea and send to the general for some engineers to draw some plans to build a bridge across the Red Sea, you're going to lose. Take what's in your hand. Well, what is it? It's a rod. Well, that's nothing. Take it and use it. Cast it in the water and see what happens. But it's only a piece of wood. Hit the water with it. <clears throat> the waters roll back. You can do it your way or God's way. You can raise your family Spock's way or God's way. I recommend God's way. Well, it's only a rod. You've got to read the books. You've got to study the manuals. Oh, my friend, use what's in your hand. That's what God expects. You can come against Goliath, having gone through Saul's school of armor, months and months of training, or you can say, let's see, what have I got? Hmm, slingshot. God says, use it, David. So he bends down, picks up five rocks, and God whispers in his ear and says, you'll only need one. But David says, but he's got four brothers, and you never know. They may be lurking around in the woods somewhere. So he takes five. And in David's anointed hand, it was a missile guided by God to do the job. You can go against the Midianites, having designed all kinds of weaponry, taking months and years to get ready, or you can say to God's question, what have you got? We have nothing but pitchers, lamps, and trumpets, and you'll hear God say, well, use them. Use them. But Lord, there are thousands of them against just hundreds of us. Doesn't matter. Use them. What have you got in your hand? 
Use it! Sitting on the hillside, no commissary to feed the 5,000. What do we have here? Well, we have one lunch, few loaves and fish, and they're smelly. A boy's been sitting on the thing all day long on the hot hillside. Well, let's use them. Jesus gets all excited. All he needs is a little something to start with. So he takes the loaves and the fish and he multiplies them and they have a feast with leftovers better than any commissary could have ever provided because it's a principle. You use what you have. Stop complaining. If I had a better house, a better this, a better that, God has put within your hands something. Use it in the name of God. Some of you ladies are saying, if I only had something to use, I could save my husband. I could get this family together. I could stop this divorce if I only had something to use. My dear lady, use what you have. Well, what do I have? You've got perfume. There are hairdressers that dot the landscape. There are dress designers all over the place. I know that. In the Old Testament, the book of Esther, we learn this truth. Use what you've got. Esther's people were perishing. They were going to die. Assassination was the word. She dressed her hair. She put the finest perfumes on. She put the finest gown she could find, was not invited into a Hazarius chamber, but she went because her people were going to be killed. And when she walked through the door, Ahasuerus, like to fall, fell off his throne in the presence of all of that beauty. And he said, dear Esther, you can have anything I've got up to the half of my kingdom. Just don't leave this room. You've got something. Use it. I don't know if the ladies of our church thought we were having problems at our house. They gave my wife a beautiful negligee for her birthday. <laughs> Gorgeous thing. Use it! Is that unspiritual? I was so impressed I went out and bought her a new dress for her birthday. Looks good, dear. First time I've seen it on you. I like it. It's fine. <laughs> Men, you don't have to lose your wife. Stop being so dull. <laughs> Wonderful words. A woman loves to hear them. Oh, honey, it's so hot. Let's go out to eat tonight. Find out where the florist is. I took some roses home the other day. You would have thought that I had just become a millionaire overnight. I took red ones and yellow ones. Oh, it was beautiful. Didn't last long in the heat, but for a while they were good. Use what you've got. Use your charm. Use what God puts in every man, a backbone, 
Stop being a coward. Be courageous. Take control. Be a spiritual leader. Lead the way. Let God use you. Stop being pushed around by society. Take a stand for God and right and hold the family together and love your wife and love your children. But most of all, love God and everything else will fall into place. Hallelujah. Honor the truth is another facet of courage. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter said in Acts 5. Evil needs to be branded as evil. Peter put the brand on it. He was going to honor the truth. Let's all do that. This is the Lord's day. Honor that. Don't commit adultery. Honor that. Don't lie. Honor that. Don't steal. Honor that. Honor the truth and live before God the way God intended you to live. Be courageous. Put the will of God first, number five. We must obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. A ban had been put on Christian testimony. Didn't matter. We're going to obey God. But we're going to be persecuted. We're going to obey God. Peter put the will of God above prejudice. Prejudice is a terrible thing, particularly racial prejudice. Peter was sleeping on his housetop when God gave him a vision about prejudice. And in Acts 11, verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. You see, God doesn't see color. One of the tragedies of America is that we've seen color, but God doesn't see it, making no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Peter was a Jew. But God said, make no distinction, go with them. Go down to Cornelius' house. He went. The Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning, was the report. The Spirit of God visited them. Then Peter adds, who was I that I could withstand God? If it was God's will, then I had to follow. And prejudice was broken by the Spirit of God working in his heart. God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. God's will. And finally, to face the end triumphantly is another facet of courage that I've got to leave you with. Jesus set forth Peter's death and martyrdom in John 21, 18 and 19 when he said to him, Peter, someone else will fasten your hands and take you where you don't want to go. You're going to die a horrible death. Well, how did that affect Peter? We can only learn by what he wrote. And we open the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 to find out. How did it affect this man? Someone's going to bind your hands and take you where you don't want to go. Okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By, this, by his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Analyze his statement. He was on his way to crucifixion. 
He was a marked man. He was going to be crucified upside down with his head downward. He was going to die on a cross, the most horrible death that could possibly be. He knew it was coming. It was just around the corner. It was the next thing on his calendar. So what's he talking about? The bum deal he got? The bad rap? No. He's talking about a living hope. He's talking about an inheritance. He's talking about something imperishable, something undefiled, something unfading, something in heaven. Hallelujah. What do we talk about? She doesn't know my needs. He doesn't care about me. I think we might as well give it up. We've got to think a little bigger and a little better. We've got to have the courage that God is able to put in our hearts and be healed by the words imperishable, undefiled, a living hope, an inheritance in heaven. There's a bigger day ahead, my friend, the day you stand before God to hear him give an evaluation of your life. How are you going to stand that? By receiving what Peter received that changed his life. Nothing else. He was a reed, and he became a rock. He was blown by the winds of chance. He was stable as a rock, never to vacillate again, never to turn again, only to be obedient. To his Lord. We live in a silly society that tells us the easy way is to just walk away. Forget it. Don't fight. Don't stand for what you think is true. Just, you know, whatever will be. That's not what this character in the book of Acts teaches us. What we learn as we open those first chapters of Acts is that here was a man, weak, fearful, but whose backbone became like a steel rod because of the presence of another in his life. I recommend that to you on this Father's Day. Above all the self-help courses, above all the motivational books, above all the universities you could attend, I recommend be possessed with another. And you will have the courage, Peter. And our world will be different because you pass by. Will you take that challenge today? Let's pray. God, there are fears here in this meeting. People are afraid. Some of these women are afraid. Some of these men are afraid. Some of these young people are afraid. Some of them are afraid they won't find that job even after we've prayed, but faith says it's going to happen. Hallelujah. Some of these folk are afraid their marriage won't hold together. Some are afraid they're going to lose their job telephone company, got notice, hundreds of people. 
Oh, God, take our fear away. We don't have to fear. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. God, right now, in the power of your Spirit, take the fear out of this room. Take the fear out of our hearts. Only give us that godly fear that will keep us walking correctly and straight. Oh, Jesus, I believe you're doing it right now. I feel it in my spirit. You're doing it. You're taking that fear away. You're replacing that with your mighty presence and power, just like you did with Peter on the day of Pentecost. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We open our hearts to you. We drink at the fountain of your provision. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, some are afraid of dying. They don't need to be afraid of dying. All they need to do is receive Jesus. Right now, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, how many of you are afraid of dying? You don't know Jesus as your Savior. You don't know that your name is written in heaven. You can know it today before you leave this building. If you'd like that, raise your hand, will you, wherever you are, man, woman, boy, or girl. Say by that hand, I want Jesus in my life. I want this fear of death removed. Thank you, right back here. God bless you. Raise them up high. Hold them there till I see them. Then you may put them down. After I have seen the hand, hold it up just for a moment. Yes, thank you, ma'am. God bless you right here. Praise the Lord for you. Thank you back there toward the back. I think it's a young lady. God bless you. Thank you back over here to my left, way back. Two, three hands back there. God bless you. Jesus loves you so much. Anyone else? Just raise it up. I want to pray for you. Thank you. God bless you over here. Another young person. Another one back there in the back to the right. God be with you. Jesus, touch these dear ones. Oh, I feel your call so strong to them right now. Come, follow me. May they pick up and go. May they never turn back. Come into their hearts. Save them. Forgive them. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand, please, reverently, quietly in God's presence. I want all of us to reach out and just lay our hand on another. We've done that a time or two already this morning, but I want to pray for power. I just want to pause and ask us to pray for each other. We're all in need of power. I opened the paper that was wrapped up with a rubber band, just let it flop open, and I'll tell you, the whole front page, the travesty up in Calaveras County, the cheese problem bringing death, and the airline problem, one already dead, many hostages. And I, I thought, oh, thank God I can go to church this morning and get into a better atmosphere, into a place of love where we can pray for each other. The world is so sick, but we have power through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, just pray for each other, will you? Turn this into a prayer room all over, upstairs, downstairs. Just pray. Jesus, we pray for each other. We're weak, but you're strong. We are pushed around often by our environment, but you're strong. You don't look at environment. You take a weakling like Peter and you put, a, put the spirit in him and make him like a rod. Oh, God, do it for us. Do it for us. Do it for us today. Do it right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Do it now in Jesus' name. Touch men and women throughout this building, young people. Give them a desire to follow you. Give them a courage that will see past what the world is saying and into the realm of God, into the heavenlies. 
and they will do what you want them to do according to your word. God, release us from the fears of this world and create in us the power that we need to do what's right before God and be accepted into the beloved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who raised your hands wanting Christ, would you come to the front just before we conclude? I want my associates to greet you, and I want to give you a tape and a booklet. And then I want those who need water baptism to come over here to my right because we have baptism tonight, and you need to repent and be baptized. Take that second step. Tonight you have an, uh, another opportunity to do that. Those of you who raised your hand, will you just come right now? Start walking down here. Jesus said, come follow me. I want you to take that step right down to the front. From where you're standing, just come. Back over there, back there, back over here, way back over there. Just come on. I want you to come and take one of our ministers by the hand and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I want the help that you have, the tape, the book. I want to com uh, publicly commit myself to Jesus.